your Bible, we're going to go through uh, chapter 9. And so, um, we're going to go through, we're not going to get completely through 9 today, but man, there's only 10 chapters in, in the book of Esther. So we are winding this down. And so as I get started here, where it's March the 26th, 2023, I'm doing that for the people on my tape, uh, Esther lesson 11, and Esther chapter 9. So let's read verses 1 through 19, and we'll back up like normal, and we'll see what we can dig out of this. So now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. Now, let me stop here for just a minute. All through the book of Esther, we see that people hate the Jews. And we've been focused specifically on Haman, but it's more than Haman. And and it kind of gives us an idea that all down through history, there's always two sides. There's Satan's side and God's side. And there will always be people that hate God's people. It just is. And I know all of us are just really go happy, lucky, cheerful uh, people in this class. And no hate in us. And, you know, we just love everybody. And we sing Kumbaya and all that stuff. And we think nobody doesn't like us. But yet, there is an enemy out there. There are people out there that want to kill us. Mm-hmm. And so we got to keep that. It's a battle. It's always been a battle. I remember growing up, uh, my dad used to say, they must be a Jew. They're tight, so tight they squeak or something like that with their money. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's how, when I first started, related to Jews, it had to do with money and they didn't want to spend it. They were like tightwads. Right. They have a, uh, what do I want to say, like, not a stigma, but, you know, everybody has this, this stereotype of what these people are. And, um, they're they're people just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I've, I've worked for Jewish people. I've, I've had Jewish people in our house. Our, our two kids have had Jewish friends. They've also had Muslim friends, which is kind of interesting. Um, and so I, I know our son played, uh, one of the guys, one of the men, one of the fathers on the baseball team that my son played on one year came and asked me, he goes, would, would your son might like to play fall ball? He goes, we have a, I have a league that my son's on in the fall. And he goes, actually, your son's pretty good. And I'd like to see if he could play play with my son. And I believe his name was Mark, wasn't it? In the fall league. Well, this guy was Jewish. And it was just a Jewish uh, uh, temple. temple complex up here off Nall uh, um, and 119th. Mm-hmm. So, nope, not a problem. I'm, I'm, even though I've had to learn not to be prejudiced because I kind of grew up really prejudiced, so I've had to learn not to be. So he, he played on the fall league, but when we went up there and I see all these people come in, I just kind of watched them. And I'm like, are they all going to look like the stereotype that we're talking about, you know, short, dark-haired, you know, facial expressions of what we normally think. And I'm like, these people are all over the place. Tall guys, short guys, blonde people, red-haired people. I mean, they were just normal people. And But what I realized was... 
they just were Jewish, in fact, and the Jewish part was just kind of like a club that they were in. Mm-hmm. They didn't really believe anything, I don't believe, mm-hmm. but they were part of that club. And so they're just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, we I still have that stereotype. That all Baptists wanted was money. So yes, you know, Baptists are just a bunch of money. I didn't go to yeah. Baptist church for a long time because I didn't have money to give them. <laughs> and, and, the, and the Methodists are just... They, they liked, you know, potluck chicken dinners on Wednesday night, you know. So, so everybody has these these stereotypes. We got to realize people are people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go overseas and you realize that people are people. Went over on a mission, my first mission trip. I came back and I'm like, you know what? We just did the same thing there that we do here, mm-hmm. you know. And so people are people, no matter where you go. And so let's back up where we're at. So where'd I leave at? Verse 2, I didn't get very far. And the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt. And no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. Now, that's a God thing. Remember, we the word, the name of God is not anywhere in the book of Esther, but yet there's a fear of the Jews. Are you guys afraid of Jews? No, God didn't put that in us. We don't have that fear. But these guys had a fear, and it had to have been put there by the Lord Himself, or they wouldn't have had this. Verse 3. We'll go back and look at that a little bit later. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and the officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame went out throughout all the provinces for this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Now he's only been in office for about nine months, so he must have made one one world of a difference. People must have realized this guy to have some of a of a reverence for this guy. Verse five. And thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. And in Shushan the palace the Jews slew and destroyed how many men? Five hundred men. And Parashanditha and Dalphon and Aspatha and Poratha and Adalia and Aridatha and Paramashta and Arise and Aridi and Vajatha. And I butchered all those. So if you guys want to stand up and pronounce them all for me, I'm all for you. Okay. And who are these guys? They are the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy, again, the enemy of the Jews, slew they, but on the spoil laid they not their hand. We're going to go back and look at that in a minute. And on that day, again, every I believe you can go back to every chapter in this book and you'll find on that day in there. So what's God trying to tell us? that has a prophetic meaning to this book. It's going to take place again during the tribulation. On that day, or during the tribulation and right at the day that Christ comes back, the second coming. On that day, the number of those that were slain in Shushan the palace was brought before the king. And the king said unto Esther the queen, The Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the palace, and the ten sons of Haman... 
What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is thy petition? It shall be granted thee. Or what is thy request further? And it shall be done. Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. And let me just stop for a quick minute. So the, the king again asked Queen Esther, what else do you want? And she says, hey, I want the decree to defend, for the Jews to defend themselves to go over one more day in the city. Now, does she know something we don't know? Why an extra day? And she wants Haman's ten sons to be hanged upon the gallows. Now, they're already dead. So why hang them? That's what I was wondering when I read this. I'm like, they're already dead. How can you hang? Oh, I didn't think they're already dead and she still wants to hang them. Are, is it because she hates them? Oh. I think it's because think it's she wants to make a statement. Okay. She already asked the king to extend yeah. the, the day that they were to defend themselves, which is on the 13th day of the month. So now she says, I want that to be extended one more day. Why? She had to know something. And she also said, I want Haman's ten sons hung up. Well, I'm just kind of reading between the lines and I'm thinking if she, if she thinks there's going to be another insurrection on the following day, she's heard news of it. Let's hang t- Haman's ten sons up to just be a, d- a deterrent. Because, the, guys, I don't want anybody else to get killed. This is what's going to happen if you come up and try to kill us. So that's what I'm thinking, but we'll move on. We'll keep, we'll see what happens. And the king commanded it to be done. And the decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the fourteenth day also of the month Adar and slew 300 men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. Now that's twice it says they didn't take any spoil. Verse 16. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew of their foes 70 and 5,000. But they laid not their hands on their on the prey. Third time. And on the 13th day of the month Adar... And on the fourteenth day of the same rested they and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled themselves or assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth day thereof, and on the fifteenth day of the same they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the fourteenth day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. So you're going through this and you're like, okay, wait a minute. What, why thirteen days? Why the fourteenth day? What's going on here? I mean, can't God get it right and put it in the book right? You know, is the book just messed up? And it kind of reminds me at one time in my life, I was reading through the Bible and I'm reading through it at Jesus' first miracle. Do you guys remember that? What was the first miracle that Jesus did? He turned water into wine. And it talks about the pots that were there and it says, and, and the pots, and the pots held 12 
or 13, I'm giving you, I'm kind of speaking, it's not, I'm speaking not, what do I want to say? I'm just kind of ad-libbing, so I'd have to go back and and, and kind of see the exact numbers, but it was kind of like, uh, the pots held, uh, some of them, um, they either held 12 or 13 perfumes or something of, mm-hmm. of water. And I'm sitting and reading that, and I'm like, okay, now God, if you're so precise, why couldn't you get it figured out? Was it 12 or was it 13? And then it's like the Holy Spirit just said, well, it was both because some held 12 and some held 13. And God is precise. So he just didn't say they held around. He said specifically what they held. So here we have specifically the 13th and the 14th. And we're like, okay, so what day was it? So we'll go back and we'll, we'll look at that. Okay. So let's go back. You have a handout. So chapter 9. And if you guys have been paying attention, I've been trying to put a P, a letter P everywhere, right? I don't know. I'm just hung up on the letter P this, this, this book. But your first blank is Purim is established. Now, Purim is, we're going to find out is the holiday, the feast that they come, they, uh, come up with as a result of this battle to celebrate it from generation to generation. The Jews today still celebrate Purim. In fact, it was just in the last 30 days. Yeah, it was real, it was not very long ago. P-U-R-I-M. Yep, Purim. And so, uh, number one in your handout, the battle is played out. So we know the battle. So it's going to get played out. Now, the battle gets played out Nine months after the second decree went out. So, uh, for, for those of you that, that haven't been here the whole time, uh, the first decree went out on the first month, the 13th day, which, you know, for us that would be January, but it was their month, which is, um, I believe Adar. And, is that, is that right? No, the twelfth month's Adar. So the first month of whatever the Jewish calendar was when, you know, that nasty Haman, the Jews' enemy, got together and sent the decree out with the king. Well, then, just a couple months after that, Haman was killed. And he's killed on, uh, like three months out. And so we can go back. I think I have it in my notes, but I don't know if I have it written down. Uh, chapter, uh, let's go back and look at it. Uh, when the second decree was sent out. Now, where was that? Must be chapter 8. Verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9 says, Then were the king's scribes called at that time. Now, let me, are you guys there? Esther chapter 8, verse 9. Now, I have a note here. This is the longest verse in the Bible. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But that could be some of your homework. Go back and see. Read the rest of the Bible this week and let me... What's the problem there, Shannon? I believe that this is the longest verse in the Bible. And I don't know, you know, what the importance of that is, but I have a note here. That's why you have a King James Bible and that's why you write your wide margin. That's why you write it all down. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, and that is the month seven, on the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded the Jews to the lieutenants. And so that's when the second decree went out. And so now this battle is played out on the twelfth month, thirteenth day. 
And it's basically nine months after Haman has been killed, right? And so that's the battle is going to be played out. Uh, so this has been a long process. It's been a year-long process. The first decree went out in January. The next one went out would be like in our March. And then it's the battle plays out at the end of the year in December, so in their last month. So basically, that's what's going on. And we're going to look at the particulars of this fight. Now, the particulars of the fight was Haman wanted and he convinced the king to send out a decree to kill the Jews and to take their stuff. That was it. And all the Jews were doing was to defend themselves. So when it says the Jews killed these many people, it was because they were being attacked. So let me throw that out there right off the bat. But under A, uh, it says the particulars of the fight. Okay, so let's look at the particulars of the fight. And number one, we have two sides, right? There's always two sides to every fight. We've got God's side and Satan's side, basically. So we have the Jews on one side, we have the 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 anti-Jews on the other side. And so let's look at the enemy side. And so uh, your first bullet point says they were led by Haman, who's now deceased, but I would specifically say that it was his ten sons that was probably agging a lot of this fight on. And so we listed those ten sons today. And just by the way, ten is the number of Gentiles in the Bible, if you want to know that. And uh, Haman is called the Jews' enemy six times in the book of Esther. Um, six times. Now, we also know that the Antichrist has a number. His number is 666. So, again, everything we're seeing here goes right back to Haman being a type of or being associated with Satan, the devil himself. And in fact, um, we're in Esther. Go back to Esther 9, and let's, go to, let's drop down to verse 24. Now, I didn't read that, but I want to read it now. It's, it's back up to 23. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun, and as Mordecai... Am I in the right spot? I believe so. Because Haman... Verse 24... Because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of who? All the Jews. He wanted them all dead. Women, children, he wanted them wiped out. And so again, who else does that remind you of? Satan, Satan himself. He wants all of us killed. He wants our children killed. He wants us all dead. Okay. And so Haman is a beautiful, or not a beautiful, but he is a perfect picture of what Satan is. And Satan also, uh, 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 Haman basically pictures Satan in everything that he does here. He wants the Jews killed. He has, uh, how many sons did he have in, in that story here? Ten. Okay, I think I'm kind of running all over the place, but you're paying attention. He has ten sons. Well, Satan has ten kings that will rule with him. So I would assume that these ten sons of Haman, when Haman got to be the number two position, he put his sons in office. He gave them a position. They were ruling with him. It just wasn't Haman. It had, he had his whole clan in there. And so uh, if you're taking notes in Daniel 7.24 and in Revelation 17.12, 
they both talk about Satan having ten kings that will rule with him for an hour. Now, this is during the tribulation time. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so what is an hour? Carrie and I, you know, this is things we talk about. We're like, what do you think an hour? How much is an hour? I'm like, well, we know a day in the Bible is like into a thousand years. So how, how do we compute that down? I don't know. I'm not that smart. So maybe you guys can figure that out. Smart math people like Shannon, she can figure this out probably. So that'll be your homework too. Okay. You got a couple of homework. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know if anybody has that figured out, but it's in the Bible, so it's there for a reason. God doesn't waste space in his book. There is a purpose why he put that in there. But so Haman, everything he does, even his sons picture Satan and his cronies. Okay? Uh, and then when you stop and think about it, okay, so you got Haman's group, and then the next bullet point says, any Agagites in the land. Now remember the Agagites, they came from King Agag and Amalekite that we had talked about early, uh, back, uh, in our lesson of, of Esther. And King Saul had, uh, was told by God to go and wipe these people out, and they didn't do it. In fact, we'll look at that in, in a little bit, uh, when I get to it. I'm thinking I'm getting ahead of my notes. But anyway, any Agites left in the land, any people sympathetic to them, or was looking to kill the Jews and steal their belongings for their own gain. Maybe it was just some people in here go, hey, that Jewish guy has a really nice chariot. They got, they got a couple really nice, uh, sheep. We're just gonna wipe them out. And, uh, we get to take their stuff. That's what the king's decree was. But when you think about that, it's like, now let me give you a little information here. Maybe you didn't know that. Whenever you have somebody wanting to kill somebody, that's satanic. I don't care what you call it. It's satanic. Because God is pro-life. Satan is pro-death. So anytime you hear people wanting to kill people for no reason other than their own greed or gain, just realize what it is. It's not that they're a bad person. It's not like they had a bad day. It's not that they had a bad upbringing and they just don't have anything. It's they're satanic. Okay? Get that in our head. So we gotta realize that it goes right along with we know there are people that want to kill us. Again, satanic goes right back to Satan. So any of these people in the land, they're against the Jews. And, uh, the next bullet point says they recognize the king's first decree over the second. Remember, there's two, two decrees. The first decree by the king was, hey, on the 13th day of the last month, you can fight against the Jews, you can kill them, and you can take all their stuff. The second decree goes out and says, hey, the Jews have a right to defend themselves, and they're going to fight you, and uh, I'm going to put my backing behind them. So that was the second decree. But they... They chose and picked which decree from the king they wanted to abide by. So they, they, they disregarded the first degree and went, I mean, the, the second degree, and they went with the first degree, and basically they did this unlawfully. So we remember we talked about the 13th and the 14th day that they fought? There was a group of the, of the Jews' enemy that decided they were going to do a, a secret attack the following day. On the 14th. But that's not what the decree said. The decree from the king says it only happens on the 13th day. So this group, they don't follow the rules. Kind of sounds like our government. They don't follow the rules. Okay? So, 
uh, they recognized the king's first decree over the second and disregarded. That's what goes in your blank. They disregarded the same decree and they added to it unlawfully. They made it up as they went. They go, you know what? We're going to do our own surprise attack on the 14th day and catch them all unawares. But yet Queen Esther had already told the king about it. Okay. And so the next bullet point says they were hateful, they were revengeful, and they were blinded to the truth. And it comes back to why in the world does Satan and his cronies at the end of, of the tribulation, at the end of, of the world as we know it here, why do they think they can defeat God? Are they just out of their mind? Do they know they're going to get defeated? They don't care. They're going to take as many people down as they can, even if it kills them. Now, there are people like that too. There are people that will, that will, that will try to destroy somebody, even if it destroys themselves in the process, because they are so hateful and so revengeful. In, in, in the show, uh, um, what was that show we used to watch? It was, Set over in England. TV series. Downton Abbey. Thank you. On Downton Abbey, there's a lady in there that, that one of the, is he the butler? He's accused of killing his wife. Now, have you guys watched this? Okay. Okay. So he's accused of killing his wife and she, she basically killed her, poisoned herself and set up her husband just because she hated him. Mm-hmm. But it cost her her life. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, who in the world would do that? Satan and his group is going to do it. They, they have to know they can't win. And yet they're going to go all out and they're going to try to take everybody down they can. And they're going to try to take all of God's people down on they can. And so they're just mean, nasty. They're kind of like... Um, Margaret and Dennis the Menace. They're mean, they're nasty, and they do not share. Maybe not quite that. Maybe they're not quite that. Okay, so that's the, that's the enemy, that's the enemy side. Okay, so then you have the godly side, led by Esther the Queen. Now she is like, you know, on the Hunger Games, talks about Katniss, she is the darling of the capital. I mean, everybody loves Esther, right? Well, not everybody, but most people do. Uh, uh, she, she had the favor of many in the palace. She had favor of many in the city and in the kingdom. And she particularly had one guy that really fancied her, and that was the king. Because how many times does she go to the king to ask him something and he doesn't deliver? None. Every time she asked him something... He delivers whatever she wants. And remember, she goes to the king and she asked him several times, uh, you know, about uh, trying to save her people. But she, she came and four times the king asked her, whatever you want, you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So why do you want to go up against the queen if the king's her number one fan? 
uh, wasn't real smart on this group. So if you're taking notes, she had went to the king in, in chapter 5 and verse 3. She had went to the king in 5 and verse 6. She had went to the king and asked him in 7 verse 2. And she had went to the king and asked him in 9, 12, and 13. And we're not counting 8, 4, and 5. So she goes before the king and the king asked her over and over and over, what do you want? And most of the time, she kept stalling him, but she would he, he would say, I'll give you even up to what? Half of the kingdom. So do you think the king's going to stop not giving her what she wants? No. So Esther's on the side, the godly side, and she's on the side of the Jewish people. And then you've got Mordecai. The godly side was led by Esther and by Mordecai. Now, who wants to go up against Mordecai? Mordecai was number two in the land. The king had given him his ring. He had given him a royal clothes. He had given him a position. Now, why would you want to go against this guy? You wouldn't, right? And then... Uh, Number three, the bullet point says that they had the rulers of the provinces. They had the lieutenants, the deputies, and the officers of the land on their side. So they had most of the government behind them. And then, uh, does your next bullet point say the law? Mm-mm. Okay, I didn't put that in. But they have the law on their side. And the last one, they had the fear of Mordecai. And the law, that's where the, that's the, where the law goes in. So you're blank there. So they had the fear of Mordecai and the law on their side. They had the fear of the law, basically, also. So these people feared Mordecai and they feared the law. They were not like John Mellon, John Cougar Mellencamp. They knew what would happen. He fights, authority, authority always wins, right? These guys didn't catch it. So they had the fear of Mordecai and the law on their side. Now let me ask you, do you think that was a godly thing when they had the fear of Mordecai? Yeah. When it talks about the fear of Mordecai? It had to be. Okay. Because God allowed Mordecai to talk to Esther to talk to the king and then the king was told by one of his people in the castle that it was Mordecai who saved his life. And it's all, God's in there. It's all in the... It's all there. You're right. So if you're taking notes today, you could write down Genesis 35.5. I was going to go there, but I don't think I will. That's when uh, uh, Jacob's sons did, did wrong and, and Jacob was afraid that the people of the land would kill him. And God put a fear of God into those people and they left them alone. Okay. Um, in Deuteronomy 2.25, let's go look at that. Let's see if I got the right reference. Deuteronomy 2.25. We're talking about the fear of God. And in Deuteronomy, we're getting ready, they're getting ready to go into the land, and uh, 2.25 says, This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. So they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and, and God tells them, uh, This day I'm going to start putting the fear of you into the, those people over there. Well, I think he'd been doing it for 40 years. 
But they're really getting getting this fear. So what I'm trying to point out is this fear of Mordecai, this fear of the law is basically coming from God because God is giving people on both sides, the godly side and the satanic side, a fear of of Mordecai and a fear of the law. Some people uh, went with it, some didn't. So go over and turn to your Bible in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to start in verses 8. Now, let me give you the story of this. This We're going to be talking about Rahab. Remember Rahab? What was Rahab? Who is Rahab? She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. Wouldn't that, don't you want your name in the Bible with all of our sins behind? I'm like, Rahab, which Rahab? Rahab the harlot. I'm like, oh, don't you know she just kind of, oh man, wants to just kind of squinch down and hide behind a rock, you know, when her name comes out. Okay, so we're talking about Rahab here. We're starting in verse 8. And the spies had come into the land, were picking up the story, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto them, men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Where'd she get that from? She's a Gentile, okay? And that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. That's a God thing. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that they were on the other side Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, if I have a testimony like that, God can call me whatever He wants to in the Bible. Because that's awesome, okay? And so, there's a fear of God's people put into the enemy by God Himself, okay? And so, these people had the fear of Mordecai, they had the fear of the king's law. So, it's like everything's stacked up on their side. So, who in the world would want to go up against them? Well... Heman's family and the people did. And so let's look at the expectations of the fight. Number three, the enemy's expectation is to annihilate the Jewish people. Okay? Now, that's satanic. When Hitler tried to wipe out the Jews, was that satanic? Yes. yes. When Pharaoh tried to kill the Jewish people, he didn't just try, he started, he wanted the boys all killed, right? That's still say he's killing the he's killing what's going to produce the gener, next generation. That's satanic, and uh, even Pharaoh and Hitler was willing to do that, even if it cost them their own life. And we're going through Exodus with with Brian, and the Pharaoh's heart just keeps getting harder and harder and harder. And harder till finally God just finally gets him to a point where he, he can't stand it anymore. But basically, he, he was willing, the whole land of Egypt was destroyed because of their hard heart. 
because of them not obeying what God said and about them trying to destroy God's people. So it brought about their destruction. And even if you know the story, after they left Egypt, they were crossing the Red Sea. Who ends up dying? The, the army, but also Pharaoh. If you go back and look at where it's at, Pharaoh's in that. He perishes in the Red Sea. He just couldn't let them go. It cost him his life. If he would have just stayed where they were at, at least he'd have had his life. But no, it cost him his life and it cost him the life of, of the people in the army. And it, and it basically, when God got done with, I'm, I'm probably getting on to Brian's thunder a little bit. When God got done with the, the Egyptians, when they came out, they were utterly destroyed as an empire. It took them hundreds of years to get built back up to where they were. History won't tell you that. And we don't see it in the Bible because God's really not concerned with them. He's concerned about His people. But it took them hundreds of years to get built back up because they were totally, totally destroyed. And so the enemy wants to annihilate the Jewish people and the godly want to maintain their lives. That's all they wanted. The godly people in this story, the Jewish people, all they want is their lives. They wasn't wanting anything else because when we saw spoil... They didn't take what the other people had. And so again, let me just stop for a minute. God is pro-life. So, I'm going to meddle here for just a minute. When you go and vote, you better be voting. And you want to know, okay, so which guy should I vote for? This, this liar or this liar? Okay. Let me help you to get the lesser of the two evils. Vote for the man that says he's pro-life. Because if you have people that are for murdering babies, you're talking about a guy that's following Satan. It's just plain and simple. You may not like that, but that's what it is. In fact, there's a lot of times when, when, uh, uh, you can go, you can, the pro-life people will put out a list of people that have said that would help them, that sponsor them, that believe like them. And if you go down that list, you can pretty well tell the people that, that'll take a, do a good job for you because they care about everybody. They don't want anybody killed. But when you get people wanting to kill people, that's just flat out, number one, wrong. It's ungodly. It's satanic. So, page number two. There was an action needed no matter what side you were on. You needed to either, uh, uh, if you were Jewish, you had to, you had to do some things. You had to take action or you were going to get killed in this story. So number one, you had to band yourself together. You had to, uh, a lot of them it says went into the cities. You had to bar the doors. I'm just throwing things out here. You had to bring out the swords. You had to do everything that you could to defend yourself. And you even needed to call out the National Guard because even the government was going to help you. And all they had to do was stand and fight the people that attacked them. And again, why in the world would anybody do this or the attacking? But uh, but then the other group had to do the same thing. They had to have a plan. They had to have the sword. In fact, they even had a plan to... Uh, go against the king and have and have a battle the next day at the at the capital city, and even that was thwarted. But uh, they had a plan, and so there was action needed. And even if you didn't like the Jewish people, 
you had better take action because it's going to come back and bite you one way or the other. Okay, So let's look at the results of the battle. There were 500 ungodly killed in the palace. And that just blows my mind. 500 men in the palace. But you have to realize this palace is just not a castle set in the city. It's like a city inside the city. There were several thousand people that lived in the palace. Okay. Ah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, city in a city. A city in a city. And so that's why there's so many people there. But there was 500 there. And you're like, where in the world did they get 500 guys that would fight against them? Well, Haman's t- and Haman's ten sons on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I would assume, again, they had had a position at some point and they lost their position and their daddy had been hung. So they're mad. They want revenge and they don't care what it cost. Well, it cost them their lives. So 500 were killed in the palace. Uh, 75,000 were killed in the entire kingdom. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. 75,000. Okay. There was 300 killed in the capital city on the following day. And here's what, the Bible doesn't say this, but there are no Jewish men, so Jewish goes in your blank, there are no Jewish mentioned killed on record mentioned in the Bible. Now that's wild. It's kind of like some of the battles that Joshua had going in through the land and, and going up against the satanic forces that they went against. And all these people would, would get killed and then nobody on God's side would get killed. Well, God's with them. He's protecting them. He was doing the fighting. Same thing here. There's no Jewish men killed in this battle at all. And then there was no spoil taken. That should be your next blank. No spoil taken. Okay? So... Uh, and that was to correct a mistake that their ancestors had had actually done back in 1 Samuel 15. So let's go back and look at that. We're going to wrap things up here and get going. 1 Samuel 15. So in this in this chapter in 1 Samuel 15, Saul is the king and God had given him a decree. He had given him uh, an order to go and fight these people. And let me see if I can find it. Um, verse, we'll just start in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Samuel's the prophet, Saul's the king. Verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. So he's giving the king... Some words from God. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, axe, sheep, camel and ass. So do you guys get the picture? Go and wipe them out. Because why? They fought against 
my people when they left Egypt. And what they did was they came up and they attacked Israel from the rear and basically was uh, killing the weak, the people at the end of the line, the people that were old. And God says, you know what? I didn't like that, what they did. So now that you're in the kingdom and you're the king and you have the power, I want you to go and find these people and I want you to wipe them off the map. Because they're mean, they're nasty, they don't share. They're murderers. They murdered our people. They're idolaters. They're probably child uh, 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 sacrificers. I mean, these guys were bad guys. They're not good people. He said, wipe them out. And Saul gathered the people together, verse 4, and numbered them and tell them 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and he laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go depart, get ye down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Malachites, and Saul smote the Malachites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. Verse 5, I mean verse 7. Verse 8 says, And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Was that a mistake? He told them to wipe them all out. So they kept the king alive. His name is Agag. And again, his descendants was Haman that we saw in the book of Esther. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and he uttered and destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Apparently he didn't get them all. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. So they refused to do what God told them to do. They didn't destroy all the people. They didn't destroy all their stuff. And yet, it was this group that ends up in the book of Esther that wants to kill the Jews and destroy them. And so... Uh, they took the spoil which they wasn't supposed to. So back in the book of Esther, when the the Jews defended themselves against the descendants of these Amalekites, that's why it says Agagites. That was the king. It was to it was to make amends for what Saul and the people didn't do back then. They 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 did not take their spoil, but yet they defended themselves and killed every one of them that was coming up against them. Okay, so that's a really good point. We need to realize when God tells us something, we need to do it because it's going to come back and bite us if we don't. And so no spoil was taken. There was a day of rest and feasting and gladness at the end of of chapter 9, and we're going to get into more next week. And there's a feast that's made by the name of Purim. Like I said, I did not get into that. And uh, Purim is a feast of, of... where they thought they were going to be destroyed and they ended up having life. So we're going to get into that next week. So we're winding down with the book of Esther. So I'm going to give you some more homework this week. You came on a good week, Shannon. Homework, homework, homework. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let you slide on the first two. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want everybody to do. I want you guys to bring a list next week of the Jewish feast. Okay, just bring a list of the Jewish feasts and we're going to look at them. 
And if you have any other questions in the book of Esther that I haven't addressed yet, or there's something maybe I didn't talk about, one of the things I haven't talked about was high, how, how high the gallows were that they hung Haman on. They were 50 cubits high. Why 50? I don't know. Don't ask me that one, but what's that? Well, that could be. There is some conjecture that they hung his ten sons on those same gallows. So, and if and they claim that they hung them one on top of another, so they had to be pretty tall to get eleven people on it. I want to ask you something. I don't know. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? Well, technically, we all did, but the Romans are the ones that that put him on the cross. But they wouldn't have put him on the cross if it hadn't been for the Roman leaders that accused him of breaking their law. And it wouldn't have been on the cross if he hadn't put himself on the cross because all of us had sinned. So the real answer is the Romans, the Jews, and us. So in other words, all of us put him on the cross. Okay, so uh, bring a list of the Jewish feast and any other lessons that you have. And next week, we're going to go through some of those feasts and see what's the purpose of them. Because even this Feast of Purim is to signify what happened on this event. Kind of like our 4th of July. We have a 4th of July holiday feast. Why do we celebrate the, the day uh, our freedom, the day that we... You know, we declared a declaration of independence from England. So we'll go through those next week and uh, uh, wind things down. And then we're going to have to come up with another book coming up pretty quick. So we've got one more week between now and Easter. We'll probably finish next week. I'm going to try to. And then uh, we'll probably have a, a, a resurrection sermon or... or uh, Lesson on Easter, and then we'll pick a new book coming up after that. When are we going to Branson? When are we going to Branson? Yeah, we finished the book at Esther. Shouldn't we go see? See the okay. We we need to go do that. We also I I have a a movie that I'm going to try to see if I can play in here maybe too. So it may take us a couple more weeks after Easter. Now that I think of it. Just saying. And uh, and you want to go to East? You want to go to Branson? Okay. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. That sounds kind of fun right now. And it's warming up, so that would be a good time probably to go. So, Well, let's pray and then we'll move, move farther. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories in your Bible. We thank you for the stories that actually happened, stories that have meaning for us, stories that have prophetical meaning that's going to be coming up in the near future, Lord. And I just pray that we would see your truth in these in these uh, books and this story of Esther's particularly that we apply the truths that we see in this in our life, Lord, and that we live our lives for you. So I pray for that today. I pray that we have a great rest of our day. I pray for the service coming up, Lord. pray for people coming in that don't know you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, we pray for anyone in our service this morning that they would be obedient to what the Holy Spirit tells them to do today. And we'll just uh, praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Right. I was wondering the whole time you were talking about hanging the tents on, that they actually show that in the sight and sound. <laughs> we'll have to go see.